Hi, welcome to episode five of AmateurLogic.tv, the Hamfest episode. I'm George. I'm Tommy. This time we go to see the Jackson Amateur Radio Club's Capital City Hamfest. We spent about two days there and uh, got some really cool stuff for you to see. Yeah, I'm Jim. We ran down the batteries on all our digital cameras and we did get a lot of good stuff, no kidding. Like the AMSAT satellite demonstration. Yeah, that was good. The ARRL forum on Katrina, Hurricane Katrina relief efforts, communications. Amazing stuff. Yeah. It was actually a review. We got to uh, see a few of the details about what actually went on, how they scheduled amateur radio operators to go into the different areas that were affected, as well as what went wrong and, and what they might want to do differently next time. Yeah, plus it was a great big giant electronic swap fest. If you've never seen a ham fest, that's the whole backdrop piece uh, that's going on all the time between all these forums and satellite demonstrations, and there's a lot of gear swapping and buying and selling. Yeah, I bought some new gear myself, I have to confess. Well, I did too. <laughs> I never made it to the surplus tables. The question is, did you remain married? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Today, this afternoon still. <laughs> so far. Uh -oh. yeah. And Tommy's back with another great photo tip. This time, he's here to expose a little knowledge. <laughs> expose us <laughs> to a little yeah, knowledge. Yeah. I think you'll find it kind of interesting. We had a request from a viewer about this one, so hopefully this will answer a few questions. And Jim's also got a, That's a right. tip for us. Program tips, network programs in this instance. We're going to be talking about a legend or a legendary program in the hacker community as well as the network administrator community. Hmm. Sounds awesome. interesting. Here we go. Hi, I'm George Thomas. And I'm Jim Burrell. And we're here from AmateurLogic.tv at the 2006 Capital City Hamfest in Jackson, Mississippi. It promises to be a colorful event full of uh, swapping equipment, gear, all kind of good stuff. Yeah, I have a shopping list of my own. I'm going to do a little looking here in a minute and see what kind of good surplus stuff I need. Plus, there's plenty of new stuff here, too. Not to mention all the colorful folks we plan on having a conversation yeah. with and seeing how an electronics swap fest is run and what you might see behind the scenes as well. Ready to rock and roll? Man, here's a... I'm overjoyed. I'm overjoyed. Is this your first HF rig ever? Nope. Oh. Ah, first one you've ever bought. Ah, well, that, that's that's a good deal. Uh, what kind you got? Yesu 857D. Uh, well, that's a nice rig. That's a current model, isn't it? Mind if we ask what kind of deal you got? Uh, about what they're selling for, 700. All right, great. Did you pick that up at uh, one of the dealers here, or? So far, it's the only one I found here at the place. All right. Nice talking to you. What was your name? Wayne. Thanks, Wayne. You're welcome. That Wayne's character, isn't he? Indeed, no doubt. Tell me what's next. We got some amateur radio satellite demonstration coming up. Yeah, it's pretty Jim, good stuff. You've done some of that, hadn't you? Played with it, toyed with it, built a few antennas, received a few satellites, yeah. yeah it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, what's this antenna we're looking at here? This is a... Uh, well, it depends on your pronunciation. Helix, quadrifler, quadrifler. It's a right-hand circularly polarized satellite receiving antenna. Well, that's probably illegal in some states, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be J, so this is going to be up two meters and down. Which satellite is it? It's going to be AO-51. It's the latest, other than the one that uh, they tried to put out from the International Space Station last night. It went out, but they hadn't really picked it up. Okay. They put it in a space suit. Yeah, I've seen, I seen that. They, some people have thought they heard some weak beacon from it, but nothing really. It, that's when it's just right on the horizon. It's going to be coming from the north, about 70 degrees, that way. Maximum elevation on this pass? 69 degrees. So it's almost overhead. Almost overhead. The space station actually is coming overhead at about 10 to 11. It doesn't take really much to work the thing. I mean, an HT and an arrow, I actually work a lot with that right there. 
I'll work that AO21 used to out of my truck. Yeah, you can work it out of anything yeah. that you... you drive you know, it down the road. Drive it down the road. It's not as good, but you know, if, if you're on it a lot, you know a lot of people, they'll recognize your voice. You catch the right pass. And you catch the right pass. And 51 can change modes because it can be sometimes it can it can uh, downlink on um, 2.4 gig. That's what it'll be doing next week. So it takes a little more equipment. How do you know when it's on what mode? Uh, go to amsite.org and they've got it all listed out there. That's schedule. Just, yeah, it's got a schedule. You can tell what, what mode it's going to be in, in and when. Just a little bit, it is kind of hard to... You just have to have a set of headphones when you when you're running transmitting because of the feedback. It'll feedback real bad. I'll be done. Oh, this is the weekend of the Miami Handfest. Oh, Orlando. Uh -huh. is it Miami. Miami. There he is. What website do you say you can go to? Amsat.org. A-M-S-A-T. You can find out all kinds of, you know. Are you pointing that way to the satellite? Yeah, that's the satellite came he's, from the north and yeah, it's he's going to sit in the south. He's following it. Yeah. It, it was about where you are now. <laughs> now it's over here. It's moving. It's moving pretty fast. It's yeah. about 10 minutes over here. And then it's gone. I tell you, Jim, that AMSAT stuff's gotten a lot more interesting than when I first started doing it years ago. Yeah, the guys there on the ground in Miami were talking to the folks out in Arizona. Yeah. Just, just like. Yeah, with a, with a handheld radio. That's pretty yeah. amazing. It is pretty amazing. Better than the old days when they used to come over and the only thing you could do with the satellite was receive its telemetry and see how strong the batteries were. Yeah, I yeah. remember copying the Mir space station when it come over a long time yeah. ago. I actually copied the space shuttle one time talking to some students. Of course, I couldn't hear the students, but uh, I could hear them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you can talk to the space station today. A lot of schools do. That program is out there. It's part of the amateur world. Yeah. What are we drawing for, Greg? We're drawing for a BX2R and $150 in gift certificates. I hope I win. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot of people in this basket that hope they win, too. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Hi, Jim Burrell. We're here talking with Ron Brown, AB5WF. How you doing, Ron? Jim, I'm doing fine. How are you? You enjoying the ham fest? Oh, man, yeah. Having a big time. I think this, I, I know it gets better every year, but this is the best one I can remember almost since I've been coming, I think. Well, it's, it's a good one. Actually, all of our tables were sold. Uh, there's some of the folks won't be in until tomorrow morning, so we've got a few blank tables now, but uh, yeah, they're all sold, and uh, we expect a big crowd tomorrow morning. Well, that's about all you can hope for, isn't it? I tell you, that, that's fantastic. This antenna here is, uh, is by the uh, B-Square Engineering Company, and it's the same one we're using here for our talking antenna. It's a combination 2-meter 440. And what's unique about this is this little stub right here that makes it uh, 440. That is really interesting. I have not seen one of those. I've seen the B-squared folks, of course, more uh, last year, maybe the year before. And they have some interesting antennas. That is uh, just one of the many, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, that's good. We're going to give that in a way. And then, uh, we're well, actually using that uh, uh, a copy, an exact replica of that same antenna here and that's used for the talk-in right that's our, our antenna for our talk-in this is this is my uh, emergency uh, deployment rig here uh, and I see tripod and this I can go on up four uh, sections with that and, and uh, put that further up when we need to but we don't have that much room to put it up in here Ron Brown was one of those guys who was instrumental in the post-Katrina recovery efforts yes he was
And as a matter of fact, George, we're going next to an ARL forum presented by another guy who was very instrumental in Hurricane Katrina relief efforts, Alabama Section Manager Greg Surratt. I'm the uh, Alabama Section Manager. Been an amateur for over 22 years. I'm an extra class uh, license operator. Uh, my grandfather got me an amateur radio and I'm, I'm proud to hold his call sign. I arrived in uh, Mobile, Alabama on the 30th uh, of August. Our initial uh, estimate was uh, we needed 700 amateurs. The Red Cross is going to have 35 kitchens and 250 shelters throughout Mississippi and Alabama. And they would like to have two amateurs uh, for two shifts and then a couple of spares. And that's how we got up to uh, per shelter. And that's how we got up to 700 hams. If you look at the, uh, or if you listen to some of the experts on the Weather Channel and the Discovery Channel, they, they say we're in a cycle of uh, some bad weather, mean weather cycle for the next several years. So it's not if uh, we get another hurricane type disaster, a large scale disaster, it's just when. What's the next step? Uh, the next step is just more uh, preparation, uh, improving on your skills that, uh, that you learned during Katrina. Uh, we should, we should um, continually prepare, uh, train, practice, and test our skills, our emergency, communica emergency communication skills. You should prepare your personal jump kit, uh, your equipment, your manuals, your provisions. Uh, join a local ARIES uh, group, uh, get involved with it, uh, and, and get your uh, basic type vaccinations. Train by taking all the courses you can take. The AWRL has courses, FEMA has courses, uh, uh, the Red Cross courses, disaster related courses. Other, other organizations uh, have some courses uh, that charge and some are, some are free, but take all the training you can. Continue to build your experience with field day, uh, sim simulated emergency test, uh, uh, operating on nets and public service events, uh, drills, and, and past traffic. Uh, take that AWRL traffic form and, and learn to pass and then receive some traffic. It's, it's not that bad after you get into it. Um, that's a reliable way, a super reliable way to get a message from, from some person that just lost her house to their loved one in wherever, wherever else in the world. Uh, it's, it's accurate. I mean, whatever they write down and it gets sent through the national traffic system, when it gets to that loved one in Minnesota, it's, it's exactly what they said when they, when they sent it off. So practice by, by sending traffic. Test your equipment by connecting it in various um, uh, configurations, learn to operate it fully, and. Uh, interoperable with, with other amateurs around. Uh, so we must continue to uh, prepare. All the, all the preparation we can do beforehand uh, would just help us be more successful, be more effective uh, the next time. That next time may be a small local event or it may be a, be a, a big, big event, but, but prepare as much as you can. Uh, in conclusion, uh, I think amateur radio stepped up in a big way and helped many people in, in many different ways. Uh, Amateur radio operators worked on teams uh, with uh, people from many different organizations, many different served agencies, many different paid and professional FEMA type organizations, and, and we were just another part of the, the team. Many amateurs stood out because of their communications and their technical skills. We had amateurs uh, on different sites that was fixing fort lists, fixing computers, fixing telephone systems, uh, radios, antennas that uh, um, that fell off a roof of an EMA, for example, and was mangled up. An amateur would go out there, straighten it up, and, and see if he could get it working. A lot of cases, he got it working, got them back on the air. Amateur radio operators from all over the country uh, showed, that, uh, showed the true spirit of amateur radio and hams helping hams, in my opinion, and they saved lives as a result. Amateur radio was instrumental in the recovery effort in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama after Hurricane Katrina. No doubt, those guys did a great job. If you're interested in that forum, the entire forum's on the download page at AmateurLogic.tv. That's right. And coming up next, speaking of the ARRL, we'll see a real live ARRL net, as it's called. I'm W5XX from Vicksburg. I'm the Mississippi Section Manager. I'm Jim N5SPE, and I've checked in when you were calling the net on several previous occasions. You do a fine job. All right, thank you. And you're going to call that net tonight from in here? Right, 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock? We'll probably have 100 check-ins or so. 
365 days a year, if I'm if I, right. Is that right? Plus, we have the morning net that uh, meets every morning. So cool. We have two nets a day statewide. So that's training for emergencies. Excellent. Yeah, what organization does this, and what frequencies are those nets on? American Radio Relay League, Mississippi section. It's on 3862. Uh, and that morning net, same? Right. 3862.5. Don't ask me why they're half up. Okay, sounds great. Okay, well, go ahead and take care of your um, everything, and I know we got a little time to kill here. All right, I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Uh, you're looking at the equipment here at the Jackson Amateur Radio Club set up for the Capital City Ham Fest, and we're seeing gear for uh, HF operation. That's high frequency. This uh, under the table here is a switched-out dummy load. That's connected to a um, switch you see here on top of the table and a watt meter so that we can ensure that we're, we uh, have a properly functioning radio and then we switch to the antenna and can verify its operation. These are the power supplies. Coming up, we've got an antenna tuner and another power supply, nothing like redundancy. And then finally, we get to uh, what appears to be W5PFC's rig which is a Kenwood, I'm not sure the model number, but it looks like it might be an 850 or 950. And you can see that it's tuned to 3.862. Now, is W5PFC, is not that not the uh, call letters of the club station? Uh, um, I think that W5PFC is also the call, yes, for... If not the club, it's uh, maybe for some of the club's repeaters or, or gear, but I do know that um, that used to be Johnny's call, a, f a fellow I know in the club. And it, it, Oh, that's right, that's right, that was. So you're absolutely right. Hey, there he is right there. We are just talking about you. Come over and tell us about W5PFC. Is that the club call? That's the club call um, for Jackson Amateur Radio Club, as a matter of fact. Gentleman here is fixing to call the net, what we call a net. It's a Mississippi section phone net. And will Malcolm be calling that tonight? Malcolm, Malcolm will be calling it tonight. I guess you know Malcolm pretty good. Well, we just via checking into the net. Yes, yes. He's he's been doing this for a long time. I've I've been a ham for going on 15 years, I guess, and uh, really enjoying it. It's it's a good hobby. And a lot of met a lot of people. It, it's a lot of fun. Sure is. Yeah, fantastic. There's Malcolm right there. There's Malcolm. He's gonna do his thing. It's gonna be a rough evening. I can tell you that. But all it the will. Static, all the static going on. And what does that do to? What's all that static do to? Oh, the thunderstorms we have and a lot of that. It, it's, been a, it's been a terrible weather. Calling all members of the Mississippi section phone net, this is W5XX. Net control for the session located in Jackson, Mississippi, and my name is Malcolm. We're operating tonight from the Jackson Hamfist. This net is AWRL section phone net dedicated to public service, traffic handling, and training for emergencies. This net meets daily on this frequency, 3862, at 6 o'clock in the wintertime here. This is a directed net. No station should communicate with another station without permission from the net control. Please zero be my frequency. Do not check the, break the net unless absolutely necessary. Rechecks will be accepted by call sign only. For example, recheck W5XX. Okay, now, Johnny, tell us what he's doing now. The first thing he does, he introduces himself. He, he goes on, says who he is, where he's at, and what he's doing. At this time he's just asking people uh, if they, anybody has any sort of a traffic what that means is if they have messages they want to pass or if they receive messages from other states you know, things of that nature I mean of course we have people all over the state different counties that they pick up you know they're there and if somebody has a message they just call in and say hey you know I've, I've got a message for for example, like Hines County. So, okay, well, do we have anybody in Hines County? And somebody in Hines County says, yeah, I'm here. What can I do? Blah, 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 blah. So I just pick the message up and they pass it on and make a phone call. And if the party wants to get the message back, you know, they, they just tell the fellow that's already called them on, a, on the landline, okay, well, tell these people thank you very much or 
Betsy is fine and the baby's doing good and, and all that kind of good stuff. Whatever message it is, and he comes back to him and he sends it out to, uh, over the radio. And just, just a nice little circle. And this is all training, correct? Correct. So it's just a part of a, a, a okay, training that we do. It's, okay, we, we have used it quite often on emergency situations that uh, in a lot of places haven't had electricity, but you know we just run off a little battery, basically. Yeah. And that is the whole purpose, is to train for emergency preparedness. That's correct. That's correct. You, you never know when it happens. You know, like Katrina came through. We were, we were there and we helped them out quite often. I bet. I bet. I heard a lot of stories about ham radio and Katrina and uh, how many just like this, how many messages were passed by outfits and operations just like this. There was quite a few. There was quite a few. As a matter of fact, in Gulfport, as far as for what I remember, there was no communication but ham radio for a good while. And then, uh, of course, the Red Cross and other folks came by and uh, they didn't know how to communicate. There was no cell phones. So ham radio was it. So you guys paired up with the Red Cross, didn't you, and the Salvation Army and those kind of people? That's correct. Red Cross, Salvation Army, and I want to say it was another one, but I just can't recall. But Let's go back for more of the net. How about Clark County? Yeah, Clay County. KC5, What Malcolm is doing now is going county by county, calling for check-ins. And what that means is he will, or he is expecting to hear a response from each county in the state of Mississippi. Someone there in each county with a ham radio is expected to respond and be a part of the net. Of course, there will be a few counties that have no one due to sparse population or sparse population of ham or trained ham radio operators. But for the most part, out of all 82 Mississippi counties, there are very few that Malcolm will call and not get a response. Not back on the air there. How about Franklin County? And Grenada County. And there you have it. A real live ARRL net, as it was called, in progress. Yeah, but that's not the only net in the area, is it? That's right. Yeah, we have the Skywarn net. We all participate in that when severe weather comes into the area. Here's Greg King to show you a little bit about what's happened. I like to leave the spotter education mostly to the weather service folks because they do a better job than I could, but I'll, I'll cover some of the things that we do as they pertain to Skywarn here. Let's talk about what is Skywarn. Skywarn is a concept that was developed in the 70s. It was intended to promote a cooperative effort between the National Weather Service and the people in the community. Um, the National Weather Service realized that their equipment, their radar, their instrumentation and so forth had limitations. It could only do certain things. It still required eyes and ears in the field. It, the, the program focused on a storm spotter who was an individual that was out in the field that would take reports eyewitness reports and report that information back to the National Weather Service. Initially it didn't necessarily involve ham radio. The ham radio part kind of came along later because they realized that that was probably the best mechanism that they had. They had an organized group, they had people that were able to communicate, and people that were able to be trained to get this information back accurately to the Weather Service. So they, they kind of, that kind of came on after the effect. Accurate spotter information, they take it the radar meteorologist is sitting here, he's got all this technology in front of him, three screens worth, and he's got every level of radar you can imagine. He's dissecting these storms and pulling it all apart, and he sees a hook echo on the radar, and he says, I think we've got a tornado. But you know, he doesn't really know. He doesn't know it's on the ground. He doesn't know how heavy it is. He doesn't know how big it is. He can track the direction of what he thinks is out there, but until it's actually seen, he really doesn't know that we've got a tornado. He suspects it. He puts out a warning to warn people there's a possible tornado. You'll always hear the, the verbiage that said National Weather Service Doppler radar indicated a tornado, and that's how they always do it, because that's, that's all they have. Well, when a spotter sees it, and a spotter says, I've got a funnel cloud in Brandon, Mississippi. I'm looking at it. It hasn't touched the ground. He can coordinate that with where the spotter says it is, with where the radar says it is, and he knows that his warning is valid.
One thing that's very important, spotter safety. Sometimes ham radio operators get a little zealous and they want to get right in the thick of things. Sometimes a little too much in the thick of things. And I can speak firsthand about this because I've been in a few hailstorms and a few situations that I probably should not have been in trying to chase weather and find out what was going on. Don't put yourself in harm's way. It's not worth it. Uh, a dead or injured spotter is useless. So don't think that that's going to be of any use to anybody if you're dead out in the road because then we've got to handle getting you taken care of. Don't put yourself in harm's way. It's just not worth it. Stay away from tornadoes. If you see a funnel cloud, don't chase it. Find out where it is, what time it's where it is, and which direction it's going, and find shelter. Get out of there. Don't sit there and wait for the thing to come toward you. Tornadoes in some cases move 70 or 80 miles an hour. And sometimes you can't outrun it because it's going to go in a straight line and you have to take the next road. All right? Don't take shelter under overpasses. That was a, something they learned here a few years ago from some studies. Uh, overpasses actually funnel the air and the air currents under an overpass can actually be almost twice as bad as they are if you're not there. So you need to be careful with that. And again, like I said, don't try to outrun it. Lightning. Of course, ham radio operators and lightning are a special breed together, you know. You don't want to have a tower stuck up in the air as a nice lightning rod and you be on the air on the other end of it. It's just not a good idea. So you need to stay inside of a sturdy shelter or a car. A car's got rubber tires and doesn't ground well, and so it's not high potential for, for lightning. So that's a good thing. Stay away from trees and tall structures such as radio towers. Uh, I don't know how many people you know that have had radios blown off the end of a coax cable uh, because either they have the tower grounded properly or they did have the tower grounded properly. You know, I've had people say, don't ground it. It draws lightning. I have people say, ground it so the lightning goes somewhere else. I don't think it works either way. Just don't be around it, all right? Disconnect your equipment if possible. Of course, funnel clouds. We, we, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity or I don't know what you call that, but I guess you call it opportunity to see a funnel cloud. It's a scary sight, and uh, it's something that if you see a funnel cloud, it extends down from a cloud like this, doesn't touch the ground. That's not a tornado. It has to actually be on the ground to be classified as a tornado. The meteorological term for a tornado is a funnel cloud that reaches the ground. Sometimes it may appear as though it doesn't reach the ground and it actually is a tornado because sometimes the bottom of the vortex is clear, does not have debris in it at that time, and it does not appear to. What you can do is look down here at the ground level and you can see debris, smoke, you'll see electrical wire shorting, that sort of thing, green glows, that sort of thing right near the ground. That'll indicate that that's not a funnel cloud, that's now a tornado. And the Weather Service is very, very interested in that information, of course, because they're so destructive. So if you see a tornado or a funnel cloud, you need to note the time that you saw it, note the direction you were looking and where your location was, and if you can, figure out which direction it's going. Remember that the Weather Service meteorologists are going to look on Doppler radar, and they're going to see that in most cases and they can track the direction pretty good, but if they have an eyewitness report that's spotting it, that, may, that means a lot. Some cases, radar does not see it. We had a situation two years ago. I was out at Skywarn. We had the net up. We had a report come in from Clinton at Mississippi College. There's a funnel cloud at Mississippi College. I wrote it up, passed it to the Weather Service. They said, we don't see a funnel cloud. We don't see a tornado on radar. And they didn't have a warning issue. And about two minutes later, another ham comes in, about three miles up the road in Clinton. I see a funnel cloud in Clinton, gave me the location. I passed it to the weather service. We don't see it. They're sitting there looking at the screen and they're scratching their head. We don't see it. And I said, you know, this is two different reports, two different people. You know, we've got something going on in Clinton. Third report came in from one of our trained weather, weather spotters. And uh, he says, there's a funnel cloud. Here's where it is, here's the direction it's traveling. And they said, we just don't see it. They issued a warning anyway, based on our word. Warning went out, about three minutes later, it popped up on radar, it was headed for Gluckstadt. Luckily, the warning had already been issued. That gave people three, four minutes time to begin preparing and get that information out there. And boy, if you don't think the Weather Service folks weren't grateful to us for that information that they got, 
because that's potential lives that would have been in harm's way that they would not have warned about. I threw some weather factoids, I call them in here, a little trivia that we want to throw in here, kind of get everybody woke up. What are the strongest recorded tornado winds? Anybody have an idea? So, well, recorded, and that's the key word, recorded. Because as you know, one of the things that's never been done is complete recording of tornado winds and how high they get. But in some cases, they have recording and they, you know, before the anemometer blows off the end of the stick, you know, and that sort of thing. Well, the highest recorded was 286 miles an hour in Wichita Falls on April 2nd of 1958. I thought that was interesting, 1958, that's a long time ago. To some of us, maybe not to George, but to some of us, that's a long time. <laughs> How long do tornadoes last? Anybody have any ideas? Five minutes? Well, pretty close. Most of them last two to three minutes. The kind that you see the damage on and so forth is typically about 15 minutes they last. Um, and, and if you figure they're moving in some cases 50 or 60 miles an hour, that means they can track across a 20 mile uh, you know, long area you know, before they die out. What's the longest continuous tornado track recorded in history? This one I thought was kind of interesting. I would have never guessed this. No, it's not, actually. It's the Tri-State Tornado. It was 219 miles. That's a long way for a single tornado. This, this one's kind of cute here. What item has been carried the farthest in a tornado? Well, I'm sure there are lots of items that get carried a long way in a tornado, but I get this, this one was verifiable. It was a check. It was carried 223 miles from Stockton, Kansas to Winnetoon, Nebraska in an F3 Tornado 91. You know, I guess that's something to put in a record book. I don't know, you know. Somebody found their check 223 miles away. It's pretty good, pretty good way. Uh, this is my favorite here. I, I had to put this one in here. Do house trailers attract tornadoes? And, and I'll tell you, I've done damage assessment for the Red Cross, and I've been out in these sites a lot, and I can tell you, it sure looks like that these things attract tornadoes, but the answer is no, they really don't. Here's what you see. Uh, usually there's a thousand or so very small tornadoes that touch down in the United States every year. And normally, they're not recorded because they don't do any damage. Doppler radar may indicate them and you know, they may not have caused any significant damage so they don't get reported. Well, a mobile home flips over easily. And so I, I, like, I like this uh, term here, it's a mini tornado detector. You know? And so what happens is, is because they flip over so easy, that these small tornadoes that typically go unnoticed will hit a, a house trailer and there's not much structure to the side of them. The, the, the structure on the side of a house trailer is just not made to withstand winds of any strength. Well, I appreciate y'all coming. If you have any questions or need additional information, uh, you can hit me on the internet. I'm W5GEK at ARL.net or you can hit me at GregKing at ATT.net. So either one of those. And uh, I'd be glad to get more information out to you and so forth. All right, thanks. That Skywarn is the one net that I do check into. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's pretty nice. You get first-hand information on severe weather before it even gets published to the radio or the TV or anything. Or no weather radio or anything. Yeah. Jim, why don't you show us some junk they got around here in this place, man? There you go. <laughs> oh, was I supposed to say something about like that? Okay, okay.
Jim, that was some interesting <laughs> junk you found to look at. <laughs> yeah, the problem is, is I bought about half of that interesting looking junk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bought all new junk this time. Oh, there, there was a lot more stuff. That was uh, just a mere pittance of oh yes, the surplus oh stuff gosh yes, there. there were there were tons available. Tommy, what have you got for us in this episode's photo tip? Oh man, we had a we had a request from a viewer. Not the viewer, a viewer. Oh, okay. <laughs> was it uh, my mom? The other one. Yeah, no, it was my mom. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, I'm going to show you how to read the histogram on your camera. Pretty much every camera has one, and wow. it's great for checking the exposure from your that. images. So I think it'll be useful. Know nothing about it, but I've seen it. Hi, for photo tips this month, we're going to cover a topic that was sent to us by request from a viewer. In a previous episode, I did on doing panoramas with your digital camera we I mentioned maintaining exposure constant exposure on each image of uh, all the way throughout your entire panorama well obviously that brought up some questions about what is exposure and how can you check it and so forth well most modern cameras digital cameras have a feature called a histogram a histogram is basically a graph showing the entire dynamic range uh, in other words, the all of the information from white all the way to black in a in a graph form. And once you learn the what the histogram is, it's really easy to just to take a quick glance at it and know that you got a good exposure. Most of your cameras have it nowadays. Everything from the small consumer cameras all the way to the to the um, major the uh, professional quality cameras that most of your photojournalists and magazine people and so forth use. The histogram is really easy to use. You basically just, after you take a picture, you're going to need to bring up the display mode, preview the picture in the viewfinder or the display of the camera, and switch the histogram on. You'll have to check your manual to see how to do that. On the small Canon here, there's a display button that brings it up. On this camera, you'll see that the histogram is in the upper right-hand corner. And this was a good image because we don't have any clipping on the left or the right. Clipping is when you have too much white or too much black and you lose all of the detail in your image. So all of your data will be pushed all the way to the either left or the right-hand side of the histogram. You want to maintain at least some, some separation between the, each ends to get a good quality image. The histogram on the professional camera that shows the red, green, and the blue channels are good for checking your white balance and so forth. We'll cover that in a later episode. For some examples of clipping, I'm going to load up a few pictures that I've taken in the past and we'll load them up in Photoshop Elements just because that's mostly what I'm, I'm familiar with. Um, again, like I said when we first started the photo tips, we were going to use either open source or very low cost software. Photoshop Elements, if you shop around, can get it for forty to fifty dollars which is very reasonable and a bargain because it has a lot of the power of the full-blown Photoshop package. The GIMP is a great open source package and it has a histogram feature in it as well. I just kind of prefer the Photoshop elements myself. Let's take a look at a calibration chart. This chart is actually designed to calibrate your monitor so that you can see all levels from white to black but it's also a good example of how your light meter works. The light meter in your camera is calibrated based on 18% gray and we'll prove it by making a new image. I'll use the eyedropper, select that color down here for our palette. We'll create a new image and we will fill it with that color and take a look at the histogram. As you can see the, light, the line falls right in the center of the dynamic range of the histogram, this would be a perfect exposure. Some, some guy, a lot smarter than me, decided that 18% gray was the correct calibration for the light meters on the camera. And this is what we're seeing a representation of right here. Let's take a look at a few images that I've taken in the past and see how the histogram would have looked on the camera had we previewed them at the time. This is a picture of the Washington Monument 
it's a silhouette but as you can see the we did not clip on the very edge of the histogram right here we have a little bit on the white edge and barely to the dark edge so overall for the picture that we were wanting which was a silhouette this is a good exposure this is example of a nighttime exposure that is not a good exposure we have too much black as you can see it's all piled up on the left side of the histogram there's no detail in the shrubbery and so forth here here's one I took in San Diego and you can see there's no clipping on the black channel and there's really no clipping to speak of on the white channel this is a pretty good exposure you can tell by looking zooming in at the white areas on the image and see that there's still detail um, if we saw clipping you would see areas that were just solid blown out white and there would be no detail at all this is a good image no, no clipping and we've got a good histogram centered in the middle there could actually have been a little bit more dynamic range it would make the image better if we went out to both ends we have a good bit of clipping on this one in the white areas this is a, this was a very sunny day in a high contrasty image so it's very difficult to make this good the clipping is in the um, is in the white uh, things of the ferris wheel the support of the ferris wheel um, some of these are judgment calls personally I don't care for the exposure being this bright and the clipping in it but some people may actually think that was a decent image so I think this is probably the best example that I have the sun was shining on the capitol building and it blew out or we have clipping on the histogram because we had the blown out highlights in the center of the building where the sun was so bright and that's represented in the right edge of the histogram right here one last example of uh, a good exposure <laughs> maybe not a good image but a good exposure as you can see we don't have clipping on either end um, you may recognize this if you've ever watched uh, late night with david letterman and see Rupert G on there this is the Hello Deli that Rupert owns around the corner from the from the uh, Ed Sullivan Theater there's something you need to understand a little about the light meter before you go out and take pictures even using the histogram if you're going to take pictures of snow uh, seeing this predominantly snow a lot of white your light meter is going to try to adjust to create an image that is 18 percent gray which is what we saw on the computer a few minutes ago because you want the snow to be white you're actually going to have to increase the exposure on your camera looking look in your manual and see how to do exposure compensation look it up in the index or in the table of contents and it's usually very easy increase the exposure in one-third or one-half increments take the picture again check the histogram you don't want to have clipping but in a scene that's predominantly white you're going to want most of the data over onto the right hand side of the histogram so uh, but but not all the way over so far that the white's blown out and there's no detail it takes some trial and error and you know just have fun with it check the histogram and pretty soon you'll start to understand what what affects the exposure and like I said at the beginning here we're, we're going to do uh, segments on exposure shutter speed what is an f-stop um, so forth and go into a lot more detail this should get you up and running and increase the keepers I call them on your pictures and you'll end up with a lot better photographs after you learn to implement the histogram it's very easy you can look at the scene glance at the histogram and kinda know how it's supposed to be after you use it a few times if you have any questions, you feel free to email me at tmartin at amateurlogic.tv and I'll do my best to help you out. Um, until next time, uh, use the histogram and just have some fun with it.
I've seen histograms before in a lot of the uh, photo editing packages, but I never knew what they were used for. Yeah, they're pretty handy. Yeah. Uh, very simple to read. Jim, what do you got for us? Coming up, uh, another tip. This one, though, instead of photos, is on computer programs. And the particular computer program type is networking tools. Hello, welcome to this episode. We're going to add a little something new, taking a look at different computer programs. We're going to start off with network tools. This episode, Nmap. What is Nmap? Or maybe who is Nmap? What does Nmap really do? Well, the short answer is Nmap stands for Network Mapper. The long answer, however, is Nmap is a legend in the network tools arena. Uh, just a little bit of evidence. What did the National Security Agency have on their wall size status screens when they're, uh, rather, at their HQ when President Bush came to visit and tour the facilities recently? You guessed it, Nmap. Nmap is used by hackers and network admin types alike. For the hackers, it provides reconnaissance. For the network admin jocks, it's administrative information about their network. It runs on all the major Unix platforms, Linux, Solaris, the BSDs, Mac OS X, and surprise, runs on Windows. Don't forget the GUI. It's a separate program called NMAPFE. FE stands for front end. And it looks really fantastic. It can ease the learning curve of NMAP a great deal, yet many people prefer the traditional command line interface. We'll take a look at both. Ready to get started? Okay, let's go. We've got Linux running on my laptop. You see it here. Nmap FE is running. These are the different types of scans. Here are the scanned ports selection we can choose from. We have OS detection turned on, of course. Then down here at the bottom, the command line is showing. That is to say, if we copy this and paste it into a command line terminal, we get the same exact results we're about to get from the GUI. This is the IP address of the Windows box on my network. We're going to click the scan button and see how long it takes to get some information back. Boom! That was quick, wasn't it? Uh, voila! We have a table here showing the port, the state of the port, and the service running on that port. And a little color uh, significance. Like for instance, port 21 is open, that's FTP, and FTP is in red. You think that means uh, danger, Will Robinson? You bet it does. Telnet's the same way. Here's uh, an emboldened entry. Uh, which is a little significant, not as bad as a red entry, of course. HTTP, what the web runs on. Uh, NetBIOS, hmm, could this be a Windows box? HTTPS, Microsoft, yeah, that's a Microsoft port. Uh, MS Term Service, a Microsoft port. Uh, X11, that's what we're running to get over to the laptop and see this screen. Ah, look here. Running Microsoft Windows 2003 slash dot net. Uh, server, or it could be an NT or a 2000 or an XP box. OS details, Microsoft Windows 2003 server or XP Service Pack 2. It hit us right on the nail head. We're running XP Service Pack 2 and it did it all in just 3.9 seconds. Not bad. And so there you have your first glimpse of Nmap FE and the underlying program Nmap. We only saw the Linux version of the GUI. In the coming episodes we'll have a look at the other GUIs and the command line interfaces. Some more in-depth look at what Nmap output consists of and what it's useful for. Things like ping scans and entire Class C identification sweeps. So, promises to be interesting. Hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks. NMAP is an awesome program.
Yeah, it really is. And that's one reason we're having multi-episode coverage. All right, I'll be sure and set my DVR so I won't miss the next one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, that's it for episode five, the Hamfest episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll be back uh, next month with episode six, uh, which will not have nearly as much amateur radio content in it. But, you know, we wanted to give everyone an opportunity to see what went on at Hamfest. And now we've done it. And if you enjoyed that and would like to see more, don't forget, go out on the downloads page at amateurlogic.tv and you'll see some more Hamfest content. Yeah, that, we forgot to mention earlier that the entire Skywarn session is on the download page as well. Oh uh, yeah, That's right. it, it sure is as well as the AMSET demo, the uh, full-length version of it is on there as well. That's it for episode five. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, we did. Check back and see us again. See you next month. See you. Tommy, I always thought a histogram was something that your wife had when she got old. <laughs> Here's Tommy before the divorce. <laughs> and uh, we'll see him after it. I'll have a hole in the back of my pants right there. <laughs> Y'all are laughing, but it might be true. <laughs> that was really bad. It was terrible. That was absolutely terrible.